Welcome to another edition of the It's Cavalier podcast. As always, it's your boy Mac. Joining me today, my friend, my co-host, Corey Walsh for the sword. How you doing, bro? Is this some kind of sick fucking joke? <laughs> I'm doing great. I love the playoffs. They're fun. So it's like draft season or what? <sighs> Corey. Corey, Corey, Corey. I am not what you would consider a wordsmith. I mean, you as well as I know, we like to outline the show here before we do it, but I am not a wordsmith. And with that said, to hell with that line. It's do or fucking die for the Cavs right now. Put up or shut up. We're in the end game now. Whatever cliche you want to use or movie line that fits the story right now, what whatever applies to this that we are experiencing right now. Every single game from here on out is an elimination game. With all that in mind, bro, let me start things off by asking you the question that will inevitably be proposed until this game starts. In your personal opinion, would losing this series in just five games be considered the ultimate failure after trading for Donovan Mitchell, especially after trading away what we did to get him in the offseason? I feel like trading for Donovan Mitchell, the goal was to t- for this team to take the next jump and going from the play in to the playoffs is a jump and not only the playoffs, but comfortably not in the play in is what this team's result was. He won games. Yeah. And I think people who like to move the measuring stick of expectations to whatever seems fit to them at that time just because they're looking at the season in a microscopic lens of just the season itself as it goes through its segments versus being like, Hey, you know, last season we were hoping to make the playoffs injuries derailed a season into the point where we were looking real hot to real, not real quick. And then we got (laughs) knocked out of the play in. And now this season we, uh, we are in a much better spot. And we would have killed to be in this spot last year. And I don't think without Donovan Mitchell, we necessarily would be in the spot that we're in. We we arguably could have made the playoffs, but it probably wouldn't have been as easy as a ride to get in as it was today. So, no, I don't think that this season is a failure in the slightest, even if we're Mike and gentlemen swept by the Knickerbockers. Huh, man, uh, it took 45 games to stay out of the play-in game this season and that may not sound like a big difference uh when in comparison to last year but man the nba changed the nba changed a lot this season i feel like the east in particular got a lot deeper um covid was not necessarily an issue this season as it impacted many games last year and i know Cavs fans probably don't want to hear this but uh some of those wins were against teams that were heavily impacted by covid conversely some of those losses for us same way Everybody dealt with the same thing. Injuries were a huge excuse for us last season. Uh, You know, it it, it went both ways. Many other teams dealt with that same problem. But the fact of the matter is the Cavs just were not ready last year. They consolidated. They made the trade in the offseason. They took a leap. We won 51 games this season. That's great. That's awesome. But it still doesn't take away from the fact, Corey, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it here, bro. 51 games have a season like this where you win 50 plus games for the first time in about five six seasons and the first time really without lebron in in ages what 97 98 really uh to have such a successful regular season and then to head into the playoffs to only face a gentleman sweep elimination to the new york knicks who we feel that at least coming into the series 
I think we all felt that we were the superior team, that we have more talent at the top, that we have the the ability to beat these guys, although the regular season record didn't look like it. But to to, to go out in a gentleman's sweep to this team, oh, man, it's just – how do we get here? <laughs> uh, I, I want to talk about game five, obviously, bro. But before we get there, let's just take a walk down memory lane, shall we? Let's let's talk about how we actually got to this point. So <laughs> <laughs> game one, right? We 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 own we we earned home court advantage. We won more games, so the series started at home where we have been better all season. So what happened in game one? Well, the Cavs and Knicks engaged in a rock fight. Some of the slowest paced basketball you ever see. Neither team played up to their abilities. Hell, the Cavs did a pretty damn good job defensively on Julius Randle, who was held to 7 of 20 with Evan Mobley limiting to 2 of 12 himself, I believe. Jalen Bronson, who's had a breakout season, was held to 11 of 24 uh, by using multiple defenders to slow him down. So what the hell happened? Well, many things, but I'll keep it simple. While the Cavs' offense was just flat-out offensive, the Knicks weren't any better. (laughs) Uh, The the Knicks were not any better. The Cavs' defense held. The Knicks were just able to out-rebound the Cavs by the way of 51-38 to and 17-11 to on the offensive glass, which led to New York scoring 23 second-chance points. They went on to lose that game 101-97 and lose home court advantage. Game two? The Cavs adjusted in a counterpunch. Isaac Okoro picked up two early fouls. J.B. Bickerstaff sat him and deployed a three-guard lineup consisting of Darius Garland, Donovan Mitchell, and Karis LeVert. And guess what? It worked out because the spacing provided by LeVert, it really showed. It opened things up in the paint. And so that allowed Darius Garland to drive more. Darius had a, had a game high in points. Donovan Mitchell took a step back because Darius had been passive in game one. And guess what? The Cavs actually won the fucking rebounding battle, 43-36, to and limited the Knicks to an even better 36.7% from the field. They went on to win that game 107-90 and had high hopes riding into Madison Square Garden. But pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. Heading into Madison Square Garden. New York just looked like it was a little too much for the Cavs, Corey. I don't know if it's just New York, but Madison Square Garden just had the Cavs completely wilting. At least some of them wilted in the spotlight. DG struggled after putting up a game high in game two. Spida was not his excellent usual self. J.B. Bickerstaff opted to roll the dice and start Levert in place of a coral from the get-go. That didn't work out. The bench was scored 14-39 to as a result of pulling him from said bench. Atrocious basketball. That, my friends, resulted in one of the most disheartening losses in recent memory for the Cavs as they lost by the score of 79 to 99, I believe. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Corey, but wasn't that the lowest scoring game in, I don't know, how many years? How many years? Uh, That I don't know off the top of my head. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of the lowest scoring postseason games in Cavaliers history. It was atrocious then we had to game four a make or break game four where we're feeling like you know but Cavs, if they can just steal one in madison square garden we can get the momentum right back heading back into cleveland but did that happen no Cavs once again headed into game four ice cold just 
could not hit a shot and waited way too long to the, to the second half to kind of get a little bit of a burst here where Darius Garland got things going. Uh, Jared Allen started to play, uh, you know, more like his usual self. But guess what? That coincided with one of the most brutal stretches you will ever see in Donovan Mitchell going one from nine. Well, one for nine in the second half. And it was, I was not loving the shot attempts. So before we get on to game five, Corey, Couple of things I want your opinion on. One, are the Cavs afraid of the spotlight? Was Madison Square Garden too much for the Cavs? I think the playoffs are a tough environment for an especially young team. I don't think this team necessarily has the veterans that some young teams need to help settle the room, kind of. I think it's Ricky Rubio is a valuable player to have for the locker room, but. In terms of him on the court, he's been a complete negative, so that didn't really translate that well. Lavert and Allen, while older, haven't really gotten a ton of tread in the playoffs to the point where they can kind of be that that kind of boat that can ride the rough waves. Mitchell should ideally be that, seeing as he came into this uh, playoffs as one of the uh, highest scoring players per points per game wise in uh, NBA playoffs history. But I think everything that could have gone wrong from games one, three, and four is uh, kind of been <laughs> indicative of this entire series. And Murphy yes, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I just feel like even though game three was a lot better than game or game four was a lot better than game three, it didn't necessarily feel that way because going into halftime, it looked like the same song and dance from game three and game three was an an abomination to say the least. Uh, Some of the worst basketball I've ever seen any Cavaliers team play. Any, uh, some of the uh, unluckiest shot making of any NBA team I've also seen in recent memory as well. I mean, it just felt like the, the the rim had a lid over it and the Cavs couldn't do anything (laughs) to break through it. I um, I just feel like I don't know if it feels like jitters. It just feels like the way that the Knicks are also just playing the Cavs and forcing them to play out of their sets and a team that can't really shoot and relies completely on motion to create shots like the Cavs do is getting easily hampered by the fact that the Knicks are just a more aggressive team, honestly, and we're seeing it just in the play of the Knicks players, they're just putting their shoulders into the Cavs and making a day out of it. And the Cavs can't really necessarily make that counter punch right now. They kind of rely more on their finesse and their ability to do outside shooting. But that has left this team when they flew into MSG and hopefully when they fly back to Cleveland, they'll, uh, they'll find that again. They have to, they have no choice. I mean, we, we, we have, really just beat this point to the ground about physicality and rebounding and toughness, grit, heart, whatever you, whatever word you want to use to describe the way that the Knicks seem to play, because they're not, we've covered this in its entirety too. They're not a super efficient team. They do not light the field up. They don't shoot particularly well. What they do do is grab offensive rebounds, get second chance points. And that's how they score the bulk of their uh, bulk of their points. That's how they look like such an efficient offense on paper because they're able to secure those offensive rebounds. They get those second chance points. 
this was always going to be like a rough matchup for Cleveland because we just frankly um, we we we've heard the labels thrown around about being soft in regards to Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. And as much as I love these guys from time to time, bro, they look soft as hell at times. Like Jared Allen looks inattentive. He looks like he's just not involved at all. And I'm not sure. I mean, feel free to step in here, but I don't know if it's Jared Allen just not being as involved in the offense that's led to him kind of being lackadaisical on the defensive side. Um, I don't know if it's a mentality thing. I don't know if the Knicks are just flat out out hustling him because you got even, it's not even just Julius Randle or Josh Hart. Uh, you know, or Mitchell Robinson, who's been killing his role. Uh, Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson has been one of the best players in this series, in my opinion, because he's not necessarily because he's scored a ton of points or anything like that or played terrific defense, but it's because he has played his role to a T. If I had to rank the three best players in this series, it would go Brunson, uh, Robinson, and then it could be between Garland and Barrett for me. Yeah, after after that atrocious game one, Barrett really kind of stepped it up. Um, yeah, Barrett was I think two of twelve in in game one, but he's really turned the lights back on uh, for this Knicks team because we already know Cleveland hasn't actually done a bad job defensively on Randall or Brunson. They were always going to force the you know the the role players or the the rest of the crew to step up, and Barrett has done that. Josh Hart has been a big point off the bench. Uh, Emmanuel Cookley has started to turn things around. Quentin Grimes, you know, you could put out a whole bunch of names. There's there's a ton of play on that New York side of the basketball that has, you know, it's been good. And when you compare it to the the role players for the Cavs, you're just not getting as much. Um, it's just Karis Lever and scraps, pretty much. That's literally like it. Look at game uh, game four, Ru- Ricky Rubio a player that was really considered to be like a big time focal point of this bench coming into the season, at least after he come, came back from injury, the guy played six minutes. He should have played he, zero. <laughs> he played. Yeah. And that was only probably because Darius Garland got an early foul trouble. Um, so Ricky had to step in much earlier than really any Cavs fan would have liked. Isaac Okoro got some, you know, probably got a little well, actually I'm not gonna shit on Isaac because Isaac has actually done his part since being put on the bench. Oh yeah, I wasn't considering Isaac as a bench player. I still kind of consider him as the starter at the end Me of the day. Me as well. I, I'm I'm really hoping that JB opts to go back to that starting lineup with the Goro because you can't you, you saw the effect of it. You you need bench scoring and Karis Levert provides that. If anything else. I'm a big believer in uh, keep retaining something that's worked. I don't feel like the Cavs were in a break glass in case of emergency situation heading into game three. The series was tied 1-1. And I think deciding going like, oh, this one lineup worked. This isn't about to turn into a shitting on JB thing. This is just more about the mindset. (laughs) I I, I will defend JB against the Cavs fans out there, but – I just feel like in that situation, it was very easy to look, take a step back and be like, oh man, this lineup worked really well in this one game. How about we make this our starting lineup and just operate with that? Which when that happened, you and I talked about it uh, the on the next podcast. And I said that I would prefer it be a Coro again for the sole reason that when you put Levert into the starting lineup, you're taking a lot of juice away from a bench that already has no juice. And a Coro has been very impactful, but I think him playing a six man role while 
it allows defensively for the bench to be a lot better because I wouldn't say we have a lot of studs defensively coming off the bench. Um, I feel that the offense is definitely felt like Levert's played a fantastic series. I would say he's been the most consistent player on the Cavs in this series. Not saying that that's a high bar for any player to surpass on the Cavaliers roster, but at the end of the day, I think that, uh, they have to go back to Okoro at the starting three if they want to have a chance. And it doesn't necessarily need to be the most impactful minutes ever, but offensively, because he showed some glimpses, but at the end of the day, um, it really just has to be the original starting five. Yeah, I get the spacing. That That's the big time element that I get that JB was trying to get out of that starting unit because they're not they're, – they're, New York is clogging the paint. They're, they're, they're taking the driving lanes away from Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell. And when you don't have guys who can shoot out there on the perimeter, mainly at that three position, you allow guys to tee off on Evan Mobley and Jared Allen because those are also non-shooters. So what is New York going to do other than trap Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell and ask them to pretty much beat double teams? I mean, all day. And so I get why JB opted to continue to go with what was rolling in game two. But at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, cutting off your nose in spite of your face. It's one of those things where you're pulling from one area and you're going to hurt. <laughs> you're going to hurt that area just to try and help another. It's patchwork. Um, there, there is no solid answer here because Karis LeVert, obviously we see him work in both the starting unit and the bench, but you got to pick your battles. And you, you, one thing for me, you don't want to, you want to overstep chemistry. You don't, you don't want to take these things too lightly. You don't want to throw off the balance of what has worked all season. And Isaac Okoro, you know, for, for better or worse, he still works in that offensive well in that starting lineup. He, yeah. he can still knock down that corner shot. He still provides very solid defense. So I'm hoping that's the lineup trotted out in game five. Especially but, with the assignments on Brunson. That's the most important thing Okoro brings to the table. And I'm not one to like, I, I think Karis Levert is, this isn't like a slight against him that I think he should go back to the bench. If anything, it's like <laughs> trying to like prove his value because the Knicks bench is consistent of like, you could argue three and a half to four players that should be playing playoff basketball. And I said on Twitter a few days ago that the Cavs basic, like everyone who's like crapping on JB for the, him like trying all these like different lineups. Yes. Like our bench has been a complete negative for us. And then you look at the top five lineups, the Cavs have run out in the postseason that like, they're the ones that involve the the six best players on our team are all positives. And anytime you sprinkle in one of the bench players, they're negatives. And like, that's just because the Cavs have like, you could argue maybe six and a half good players. <laughs> and that's like calling Jetty when he's good. The half everyone else is pretty much like, God, I hope this works. And with Ricky, it hasn't Danny green. Hasn't gotten enough run to where I could say he's been valuable or not. Dean Wade got played off very early and we haven't even seen Lamar. So I feel like that's pretty. And like anyone who's like, God, JB's rotations are so bad. It's like, 
I would love for you to look at that bench and tell me who you want to play. Cause some people are going to have to play. We can't just run the starters out for 48 straight minutes. But that's what they were saying, bro. That's what we knew that heading into the series, that it would be like Cavs starters, 40 plus minutes, everybody else just get in where you can fit in. <laughs> like outside of Karis Levert, who's uh Levert is actually averaging 14 and a half points in this series. And he's been, you know, up and down at points, but he has been your most consistent reserve. He might be one of your most three consistent players for the Cavs right now. Uh, but yeah, I mean, what the fuck do you want him to do? Like you, you don't really have options here. The, the one name I do want to ask you about, because you keep seeing it, Lamar Stevens. Are you, are you thinking about rolling Lamar Stevens out there in game five? For significant minutes. I feel like it it can't be significant minutes. I feel like if anything, if Jetty's looking like pretty poor, I'd be pretty open to switching their minutes because don't get me wrong, love Jetty. And he but the team the Knicks are basically ignoring him from an offensive perspective from the perimeter. They're will they're like begging him to shoot. And we we all know if Jetty is willing to do anything in this planet, it's pull up from about anywhere on the court. And Lamar's shot is probably I have less faith in it going in than Jetty's, but it, in terms of like if the Cavs are getting destroyed again on the uh the glass, Lamar has sh- proven that he can be that spark that gets the team going, that energizer and for game three and four, they both both times the Cavs have come out pretty flat, and that's where they get punched in the mouth, and then they feel like they have to try to come back. Game four was much more successful than game three, but I really hope it doesn't come to a Lamar Stevens uh, like spur of the moment minutes in order for the Cavs to win this game. Because if that's the case, game six is going to be just an absolute walloping. <laughs> We're going to find out real quick, just to put a bow on that point. Jetty Osmond has struggled this series, 35% from the field, 25% from three-point range. That is his value right there, the three-pointer. Is Jetty good in transition? Yeah, he's pretty good, and he's he makes me feel pretty good whenever he's out in transition, but you know that's not what he's out there for. He's out there for his ability to space the floor. So if he's knocking down just 25% of his three-point attempts, I don't have honestly, I don't have a problem flip-flopping those minutes just to see what Lamar can bring to the table from a physicality standpoint, considering that's one of the fucking things that we've been harping on is like, dude, play some physical basketball, have some heart, go out and rebound, box somebody out, do something, keep these guys off the glass. But again, the caveat to playing Lamar is the spacing is limited for one and for two. The Knicks have been prone to attack him defensively. We saw Jalen Brunson do that because he's not a great point of attack defender in terms of defending guards. So Jalen Brunson is, if they can structure those minutes outside of when some of those guards are out there, maybe, maybe you give Lamar a shot for 10, 15 minutes, but I don't know, man, it's the the starters were always going to have to play heavy minutes and that's not going to change heading into a make or break elimination style game five. I just, I don't see the rotation changing. I think you're, you're going to roll with your starting five. Isaac Coral better start, hopefully. Karis Levert's going to be out there. Jetty's probably going to be out there. And then that, you know, that eighth man, I don't know. That's up in there. Could be Danny Green. Could be Ricky Rubio. Could be Lamar. Who knows? If it's Ricky uh, Rubio, I riot. 
because <laughs> I haven't seen one. I don't care that he was plus zero in his last stretch in game four. He His minutes bring no value to me, honestly. Defensively, I'm at the edge of my seat thinking he's going to get cooked by any New York Nick on the floor. And offensively, we all know his shot hasn't been there all season. And it's flatter than ever. And he's not going to shoot the three in the postseason when there's so much on the line per shot. I um I really hope Danny Green gets a lot more run. I think he, at, at the very least, we have not, like his body might seem like it is a little behind what it used to be, but that shot has not really. I know he hasn't shot the best in this series, but he's a postseason player. He knows where to shoot. He's really good at locating his spots. And as much as Jetty loves to huck up threes, they're not necessarily in the best situations. And that's something that I feel like Danny Green has more of a pulse on. So those are the minutes that I'd be vying for. Danny Green has not really shot too many three-point attempts. That's, to me, like if you're going to play Danny Green out there, you got to use him. I mean, for instance, he's he's only averaging one point <laughs> in this uh, in this playoffs. He's literally averaging just one point. And the problem is that he's just not been handed a lot of attempts. He's only shot the ball a grand total of five times in three appearances. So if you're going to put him out there, you got to use him. Um, there there have been some possessions out there where they have been able to get him the ball and he just hasn't been able to knock it down but there's also been other possessions in which they just don't go his way or the defense has taken that away so i i don't know it, it, it's truly tough to say from a rotational standpoint what direction they go in here the starters if nothing else if nothing else you have to get more out of the combo of darius garland and donovan mitchell we've seen those two play you know like your turn my turn basketball all season long We've seen Donovan Mitchell play hero ball, and it's worked to a degree. But you have to figure out how to step away from that, get out of your comfort zone in the postseason because teams will take that away. They'll let you do that all day. You have to get more from your team. It has to be more of a collective effort. So if the Gavs are going to win game five, they're going to need big-time efforts from not just Donovan, not just Darius, they're going to need big-time efforts from Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and these guys have to do it at the same time. It cannot be quarters at which guys are playing well and then other guys are not. It just – I get that part of that is just basketball and the natural flow of things, bro, but it would it kill the Cavs to have like a few – to string together a few decent quarters of basketball all on one court? Yeah, you kind of saw – in game four, that third quarter when Darius got going, it really opened up things for Jared Allen. And that was the best that Jared Allen's looked offensively in this entire series. And I think Darius also, I know he played a fantastic game in game two, but that third quarter stretch by him was the best basketball he's played in this postseason whatsoever. In my, my opinion, I feel like that, Watching that was like watching the regular season. The offense was flowing. The pick and roll was working. They were dragging out Robinson from under the basket to open the lane so that the dunker spot was available for Mobley and Allen. I think the only thing that was missing was that Donovan Mitchell was uh, just shooting the team One out of, of the stretch <laughs> that they were in. I um, I kind of I, – I, uh, I'm writing a piece for Fear the Sword about Donovan Mitchell, and it's just – it's – I know Donovan Mitchell is getting a lot of flack for being like, cause the eyes are on him. This is kind of his series, him versus the team that he got traded to versus the team that 
didn't trade for him, wanting to show them what's what, kind of not showing up in the bigger moments. I think as as obviously Donovan Mitchell is our best player, and you would hope that in moments like this that he would perform, but the team as a whole, the core four, the reason that the team would win the series was that if they had four of the best players in the series and it feels like every game, only one of them is playing well. And that's like being nice about it. Cause honestly, I don't think there's been any game in which I've been really pumped with Jared Allen whatsoever. And Mobley defensively has been good, but offensively he looks as raw as uh, like you would expect. It's only his second year and he's not really polished offensively to say the least. And when he is being kind of ignored at times, it, that's what makes some of the rotations kind of confusing is that it feels like we're essentially playing with two non-shooters because Mobley's not going to take the shots he would normally take in the, the regular season. Jared Allen's not a shooter whatsoever. And then I guess their logic is you can't really have a Coro out there when he's not willing to shoot threes. But I, I mean, is it too hard to ask that two players play well at the same time? I know you were saying for like a stretch, it'd be nice for the Cavs to play well, but I haven't even felt like there's been a game in which all the play, like three of the four of the core four have all played well. It's Darius has a good game. Oh, Darius is going to have a bad game next game. Darius has a good game. Darius bad game. Donovan had statistically a good game in game one, but he shot 30 attempts and it's before the Jimmy Butler explosion <laughs> was the most shot attempts in the postseason, And it was in a loss and the previous two were in wins. So I, I just feel like Mitchell, I, you know, I get, he tries to shoot himself in and out of this, like into the series, but he's doing more harm than good when he decides to do pull up transition three pointers, when you're ice cold, I get it when you're feeling yourself like, yeah, that's what like usually happens. Like, well, let's see how I actually am doing. And then except when he's doing it as the Cavs are clawing themselves back and he's taking three pointers that we've seen all season that we just let it slide. Cause like, Oh, he's on pace for 40 again. So it doesn't In matter. Spite like, of, yeah. Yeah. But I now do. it's like, Oh man, he only has like 11 points. Maybe he shouldn't shoot call me crazy i it's, and i think the offense works best through darius and that I opens agree. up everything it's been it's been very up and down with donovan mitchell and i did not expect it i mean just just to paint a picture here 38 points in game one 17 points in game two 22 points in game three and 11 points in game four it's a it, it literally is peaks and valleys it's it's peaks and valleys it's so up and down it's it's ridiculous like is it too much to ask for two of these guys, the the two starting the, the, the backcourt, the backcourt, the starting backcourt? Is it too much to ask for those guys to be on the same accord? The Cavs can do that. They're fine. If they can't, they're going to lose. It's 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 as simple as that, in my opinion, because the, the defense is taking Jared Allen out of it. They're going to clog the paint continuously in regards to Evan Mobley. If you can't provide him any more spacing via Karis LeVert or Isaac Okoro, whoever else you have out there at the three, it's going to be a rough going. But the one thing that the Cavs should be able to, at least theoretically speaking, should be able to have going for themselves is that they have the most talented backcourt in this series. And those two, Darius Garland... Donovan Mitchell, if they're on at the same time, they should be able to win this game. They should be able to figure it out. 
I don't know. Time is going to tell. But with that being said, like we always tell you guys, if you'd like to reach out to us, you can at its Cavalier underscore pod on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, and more. If you want to be added to the exclusive It's Cavalier Discord chat, you know what to do. Leave a rating, leave a review, send a screenshot, etc. Do a review to it's Cavalier 53 at gmail.com, and we'll send you an invite. That said, go Cavs. Have a good night.